I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Discovery. Time flies when you're learning super cool stuff. I'm Nate. And I'm Callie. If you're dropping in for the first time, welcome to Curiosity, where we aim to blow your mind by helping you to grow your mind. If you're a loyal listener, welcome back. Today, you'll learn about a new discovery that turns our understanding of hunter-gatherer diets on its head, the effect of self-checkout on our sense of loyalty to grocery stores, and some good news about the majestic emperor penguin. Without further ado, let's satisfy some curiosity. Over the past few decades, there have been, I don't know, maybe a million fad diets based around the idea that our bodies evolved to eat certain things and not to eat other things. One of the biggest and most popular diets is called the paleo diet. Yeah, okay, that's actually been a big deal for a long time. I think my brother was on it for a little while. Uh, As I understand it, the idea is basically high protein and no carbs. So you eat what our hunter-gatherer ancestors ate. It's kind of something like that. Yeah, that's, that's the basic gist. Paleo is short for paleolithic because advocates say that our bodies were never meant to live off of the kind of food produced in an agricultural system like grains and carbs. Hunter-gatherers, they say, lived by eating mostly the meat they were able to hunt, along with wild fruits and other plants. Right, and when I think of the paleo diet, I think of plates that are just full of meat, um, basically just like our ancestors ate. Well, I've got some news for you. According to a new study, the impression that our ancestors ate mostly meat is probably mostly wrong. Okay, wait a second. What about those cavemen ripping the meat off of a giant drumstick? Are you telling me that's not actually a thing? I mean, it's more complicated than that. So researchers in the Peruvian Andes conducted a study on remains found in two ancient burial sites. These sites are anywhere from 6,500 to 9,000 years old, and they they predate what we would consider modern agriculture. So these people were hunter-gatherers. Exactly. Chemical analyses of the bones found in these sites indicated that their diets were mostly plant-based. Add to that evidence burnt plant remains that were found and very distinct dental wear patterns, and the researchers are confident that not only did they mostly eat vegetables, but a significant portion of those veggies were tubers, probably wild potatoes that grew in the region. Huh, okay, so did they eat any meat, or were these folks the original vegetarians? They did eat meat, according to analysis of the remains, mostly large mammals like deer or llamas, not the birds, rabbits, small mammals, and fish buffet we might have in our imaginations. And while so much research has sort of assumed that the dietary mix was something like 80% meat, 20% plant, this study suggests it's actually the exact opposite. So it's 80% plant? Yeah. Huh. How did everyone get this so wrong? Well, first of all, it is important to remember that this particular study was done on remains found in just one region of the world. So diets of hunter-gatherers in other areas could have been slightly different. But it's also worth considering the inherent bias of Western archaeologists who have historically mostly been male. Yeah, okay, got it. There's definitely a sort of modern ideal of the macho man who sees hunting as the ultimate measure of masculinity. So it would make sense that, unless you're really careful, 
it's pretty easy to lay your own values over the values of people you're studying. Bias is definitely a tricky thing to shake, even for scientists. But studies like this one prove it's possible to stick just to the facts. If you've been to a grocery store or a big box retailer in the past couple of years, you've probably noticed a growing trend. The increasing ubiquity of the self-checkout. Ah, uh, yes, the self-checkout. I've, I've got mixed feelings about it. Like, on one hand, it's super fast. You don't have to talk to anyone. Great for millennials. You just scan <laughs> your stuff, pack your bag, get out of there. On the other hand, some people actually like talking with the cashier. They, they like a personal interaction and, you know, have someone else scan your stuff and bag it up. That can be good, too. I get both sides of it. Yeah. No, I absolutely agree. And they, the thing is, they're growing in popularity. By some estimates, the number of transactions that take place at the self-checkouts have at least doubled since 2018. More than half of respondents say they use them regularly. But while more and more are being installed in stores, it's still not entirely clear how they affect customer behaviors. And that's where a new study published in the Journal of Business Research comes in. I guess it's not something I've really thought about all that much, but it's actually a pretty significant change in how we shop, isn't it? When you take away all the human interaction you're used to having, it almost becomes like shopping online, except you have to go somewhere to do it. <laughs> exactly. And that's what led Dr. Yan Lu Wang and Farhana Nusrat to wonder if the use of self-checkouts affected customers' loyalty to the stores they shop at. Mm, right, yes. If the ease of using the self-checkout made people less loyal to the store than business owners might rethink installing them. So the research consisted of five different studies, which include customer surveys, hypothetical scenarios, and field studies. So the first study was basically just a survey. If you shopped in the last seven days, did you use a self-checkout, and how much loyalty do you feel towards the store? Got it. The self-report can establish a sort of baseline, right? Yep. So the next three studies involved hypothetical scenarios. Imagine going shopping and using either self-checkout or the regular cashier-assisted checkout. Participants were then shown a screen displaying the price of some items and other information, like how much they saved on their items. They wanted to see how customers perceive things like, again, loyalty, but also how much effort they felt they saved and how entitled to customer service they felt. Entitlement. Okay. Mm -hmm. I didn't think of that as a factor. Yeah. Entitlement actually becomes a huge factor. So the fifth study was done in the field with some intervention. Participants who were about to go shopping were assigned to read either a neutral passage about trees or writing that was designed to make them view the extra effort at a self-checkout as being rewarding. After the shopping excursion, they answered more questions about the experience. All right. I think I see where this is going. If you feel like you're doing all the work, you might have a bad impression of the checkout. But if you find that extra effort to be rewarding, then like, oh, it's great. Something like that. <laughs> exactly. When customers feel entitled to be serviced, the self-checkout can make them feel less loyal to the store. It's like a, a you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours situation. I mean, basically, if you scan and bag my groceries, I'll keep coming back. So self-checkout could be bad for stores? Okay, well, the study really emphasizes the complexity of the setup. Self-checkout can speed up transactions, but they can also negatively impact the perceived quality of the service. Retailers need to balance the cost savings they get from this new tech with customer loyalty. That small change in the grocery store is actually way more complicated than it seems. Yep. Next time you're swiping your goodies over that little scanner, it's worth asking yourself if that simple action has changed the way you feel about your grocery store. The Emperor Penguin is in trouble. Okay, we've talked about the incredible Emperor Penguin on the show before. I know that disappearing ice in and around Antarctica has had devastating effects on their populations, right? Unfortunately, yes, that's right. Last year, we did a story on how a lack of ice in the 2022 season led to the death of an entire generation of chicks in several colonies across the southern continent. 
and some scientists believe that the emperor penguin will be functionally extinct by the turn of the century. If I remember correctly, unlike the other species of penguin, the emperor raises their chicks on the ice in the dead of winter, and those chicks don't have the hardy, waterproof coats they need to withstand icy water. So if they don't have ice to stand on, they just don't make it. Yes. Emperor penguins need ice. And with climate change blazing up, the ice is disappearing. And as the ice goes, so do the emperors. But I do have a little bit of good news. Okay, yeah, I could use that. So emperor penguin colonies can actually be monitored from space, believe it or not. Their guano creates a pretty stark contrast with the ice it sits on, so scientists have relied for years on satellite imagery to keep tabs on them. I can't actually believe that the way we track them is through their poop, but sure. Uh, this is how they discovered the failed breeding season back in 22, right? Exactly. But scientists studying recent satellite images discovered something exciting. Four previously unknown colonies of emperor penguins, which adds around 5,700 breeding pairs to the known population. Okay, that's fantastic. One of them was a colony that researchers thought had disappeared, but had actually just relocated about 18 miles east because of ice calving that destroyed their earlier breeding ground. So would that imply that these guys are actually trying to adapt? That's definitely a takeaway from this discovery. And that's good news, of course, as is the discovery itself. But no matter how good this is, the researchers re-emphasized the dire situation that the emperor penguin is facing. Antarctica isn't going to just magically stop losing ice. So as wonderful as it is to find new populations, the challenge of protecting this species in a warming world remains. Let's recap what we learned today to wrap up. A recent study of burial sites in the Peruvian Andes revealed that early human hunter-gatherers primarily subsided on a diet rich in plants and vegetables, such as wild potatoes, challenging the long-held belief of a meat-dominated diet. New research has shown that customers show greater loyalty to grocery stores when using regular checkout over self-checkout. Amidst the grim predictions for emperor penguins due to climate change, a glimmer of hope has emerged with the discovery of four new colonies in Antarctica potentially adding 5,700 pairs to their population. Curiosity Daily is produced by Wheelhouse DNA for Discovery. You can follow our show wherever you get your podcasts, and we would love it if you could take a second to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.